Thank you so much for pressing play on the newest episode of A-Sides. I'm Andy, and I had a great time speaking with Zach St. John for this episode. He is an L.A.-based musician who's one of the most disciplined and driven guys out there. Probably not just even in the music business, but any industry that you can think of. Zach St. John is knowledgeable and passionate about what he does. So hopefully you enjoy this episode with Zach St. John. Look, it's rock and roll! And... Cue music. Thanks for taking time to do this. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for asking. These are always fun. And I always enjoy doing them. So tell me, uh, I'm, I'm curious, tell me a little bit of, about yourself, if you don't mind. Where, where Are you in Nashville with, with by Josh? Or Oh, no, I'm not. I, uh, I'm i in Peoria, Illinois, which is uh, central Illinois. And so I know Josh through Denny Smith, who I kind of know through some other people. So it's kind of like for like years I'd heard about Denny and how he owned this record store and he was almost kind of like a, a Wizard of Oz or something, like the guy behind the curtain. Because I'd hear about him, but he lived like in Nashville. And then finally, like Great Affairs played a few years ago, and I met him. I haven't met Josh yet, but I talked to him. Got it, got it, got it. Cool. Right on. And yeah, I'm, uh, I am I know you said I'm from the Midwest. I, I was born and raised in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So I know Peoria well. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, I was looking through your bio and... Like writing stuff down and yeah i saw you were up in uh green bay is where you grew up oh yeah yeah no that's that's where i grew up uh, i mean i've been in la for oh boy how long have i been here uh it's like 16 going on 17 years i think is how long i've been out here now so this is more home than any place but uh yeah no it's definitely strong you know strong love for for the midwest and wisconsin and, and everything in between so Growing up in Wisconsin, I'm sure you went to uh, Summerfest, or um, did you ever go to Alpine Valley and see any shows? Yeah, yeah, uh, both, absolutely. Yeah. My, my dad was a, a musician, too. He was a guitar player, so um, I, I just went everywhere and saw, you know, every music venue there was and every concert and that, that kind of thing. I was He was either playing at it or, or we'd go to, to go watch Friends or, you know, bands he wanted to see, so I've been all over, absolutely. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, I saw that about your dad. It uh, sounded like he was kind of like a really prolific musician in the Midwest or up around um, Wisconsin and into Michigan and that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Midwest. And he moved out to California when I was pretty young. Um, and he lived up in San Francisco for about six years. Um, and he uh, he played out there and made a name for himself up in that part of, of the country as well. So, yeah, he was uh, he was a great guitar player, definitely. You know, one of the reasons that I'm I'm doing this for a living, without a doubt. I'm looking through your bio and stuff. When you were growing up, you played on pots and pans, and then I moved on to like a Toys R Us drum kit. Though, like, how did you know that you wanted to be a drummer? Good question. I mean, for me, like I said, my dad was a guitar player, so I was always around music, and you know, obviously, he tried to get me to be a guitar player, and mom. Mom tried to get me to be a singer because she knew that that was the easiest thing. All I had to do is carry in a microphone <laughs> instead of huge cases of, of drums or, or guitar cabinets and racks and stuff like that. Um, 
but I was just always attracted to the drummer. It was just something that that's where I would sit next to, you know, on if I was on the stage or like whatever with my, my huge earmuffs on, um, or the person I would watch, you know, while, while joining to see any band it was just always the drummer was, was who I, uh, I thought was cool. And yeah, no, for sure. I, there's pictures in, in, you know, of me grabbing pots and pans and I, and I don't remember it vividly, but I do remember doing it and just grabbing like, you know, those wooden, you know, big wooden dowel spoons that, you know, everybody's moms had in, in the Midwest and, uh, just had pans flipped over and just, you know, starting hitting them and nothing wasn't, I was playing, you know, like <laughs> anything special, not some crazy fusion parts, but it was just banging on them. And then, uh, you know, my my parents got me that uh, that Toys R Us drum set, which there's pictures floating around of of me on there, which lasted maybe a day or two until I just completely destroyed it. You know, put the sticks through the heads and you know cracked the cymbals, and I, it didn't last long underneath me even at that point. So then it wasn't too too long after that they realized that I was uh, it was just more than a, a a short little fad, and I eventually got you know uh, it was a junior pro set by remo which um has always been like my favorite drum head and coincidentally it's who i uh endorse these days and i love everybody up at remo and it was this little junior pro kit it was a little black kit and it, w it was great you know where it was they're like these pre-tuned heads so it was kind of easy to make it sound good and it was a step above the the toys r us kit and and that one lasted me for like a year or two until like you know upgraded to the full like professional pearl export drum set which most kids got at that point in time you know so that that was kind of my gradual <laughs> ease into a professional drum kit situation uh, so were you already on the professional kit like i guess way before everybody else then yeah no for sure i mean i had like the full you know full-size drum kit with like zildjian cymbals and the whole thing by the time I was in kindergarten, for sure had it before at that point. Like, so preschool, kindergarten, I had the full full drum set, you know, which is, uh, it's entry level, but I mean, I still have it to this day. It's it's one of my now 33 drum kits that I have oh, damn. Uh, in total. <laughs> so it never really stopped. Kind of just kept adding to the collection. <laughs> I guess, yeah, like... With drum kits, you don't really think about that. With people having guitars, they're just in cases. But where do you uh, keep all your uh, drums at then? In a storage space? Yeah, they're. I mean, they're all over the country at this point. I have a couple in Wisconsin yet. Um, I've got a couple in Nashville. I've got most of them are out here in L.A. Uh, I'm in my studio now, which is a separate building, and I've got a, all my main recording kits I keep in the studio, which is the, the that's the biggest part of my collection, like all my vintage kits and and the, like the A quality recording, you know, sets that I have tweaked out and um, I use. And then a couple of like my main, like I, I DW built me like this insane hot rotted like dream kit of mine uh, during the pandemic. Like all my crazy specifications and requests, and it, it literally is the greatest drum kit I've ever played on. Um, so that that's in my studio right now. And then the rest are in storage at um, Drum Doctors out here in Los Angeles, which is like a, a cartridge company, and I, which I have a you know strong connection to in history with over the years of being here. And then there's a couple of studios around town, and and that kind of rounds out the collection. So they're they're all over. 
I guess that makes sense, yeah, because if you're going to go, like, I guess rehearse somewhere, then it's already set up and ready to go, right? And then if you're going to record somewhere else, it's everything's ready, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it just all depends, like I said. On, I've got a lot of my favorite kits stay in my studio because I like using them to record and I need to have the selection. But, uh, you know, I mean, I've always, there's, there's trailers that have my kit in it that are loaded up for other bands. Um, and, you know, I've got, there's two kits in Europe now that, you know, are heading over there for a, a band I joined last year called the Black Star Riders. So, you know, DW, it's made a, a kit for that tour that's going to be happening next year. And then I've got another kit um, that's that's on its way over there. So, yeah, it's just for, for needs. And they stay with bands and different projects and, you know, mm-hmm. some some bands want specific colors or types of drums, or I want bigger sizes or smaller sizes. And it just, uh, yeah, it works out and it's, you know, it's less work for me too. And, um, it's just fun. I like, I love drums. So it's also collection, you know, collecting purpose. And it's, it's great to have a, uh, the, the right kit for the, the right band and sound as well. Yeah. I was going to ask you something else, but then you mentioned the black star riders. How did that happen with you? Um, joining up with them? Was that through Christian? Yeah, it was through uh, my my dear friend Christian Martucci. Um, it, it's one of those things that I uh, the backstory to to just coming to L.A. from Wisconsin and not knowing a single person in Los Angeles and trying to jump into pretty much the most competitive music scene on the planet. Um, I just I jumped in and just started playing with tons of people because I didn't know what else to do. I just had to go out and meet people, so I played with everybody. I would go on Craigslist. Or like want ads or like you know i i forget what it's called around the rest of the country but you know the white pages or whatever and just looked up you know everybody that needed a drummer whether it was paid or not i i, I would uh i would learn whatever music they wanted me to learn i'd go show up at audition maybe i wouldn't like them maybe it wasn't the right fit you know for me or on on their side and and then uh a few things finally fell into place after doing that for a couple months and i met the first set of musicians, which then once you meet them, you meet their friends and then you're out playing and you meet more musicians. Like, you know, the normal thing of trying to establish yourself in a, uh, a new city and a new music scene. And eventually over, I don't know, five or six years of doing that, I finally had a friend who was like, hey, my buddy uh, Christian. And Christian's got a, a huge, you know, if you want to know who he is or whatever, just look up Christian Martucci and you can see the bands and people he's played with over the years. But um, at the time, I didn't know who he was. And my friend's like, hey, uh, I'm recording with my friend Christian Martucci. And he needs a drummer, and I recommended you. And uh, so basically, without even meeting him, I showed up for, for the for the session down, in, I think it was like in uh, Redondo Beach, which is uh, in the beach cities in south of L.A., about a 45-minute drive from here. And we hit it off instantly. He was He's hilarious he's just a grown child like me so we you know just lots of you know dick jokes and poop humor and you know just kind of teasing each other that kind of thing uh it was great and like i'm just yeah at the time i'm I'm still pretty much just this you know wholesome <laughs> humble midwest you know kid and and he's this you know tattooed up just punk rock dude from philly with like you know you, you look at him and think he's gonna like shibia in the side or whatever but he's just the <laughs> sweetest dude ever um, which I loved about him. And we, you know, I played for him for years. And then he got the gig with uh, Stone Sour. And we, I mean, that was it. You know, he basically got the call and he had to learn the entire Stone Sour album and then went out and toured with them, you know, a few months later. 
and obviously we've stayed in touch over the years and uh and he hit me up uh after the drum it was kind of during the the pandemic like the there were things with like the drummer wasn't able to tour or whatever so they, they wanted to, to find somebody else so he called me and and he's up in uh he lives in oregon now but he the rest of the guys are here in la so i went and sat down with ricky and robbie and we uh we just had you know lunch one day down in in west hollywood and just feeling each other out and we and we hit it off as well like just two of the greatest dudes and super super talented musicians and it was just over that lunch, you know, we got to know each other and we went and uh, got in a uh, rehearsal room and played through some songs that they had given me to, to learn. And that was great. And then it was just that like that. And then we recorded the months, the uh, the album a few months later. And it's just I mean, it's hit after hit on the album. You know, Ricky is an amazing songwriter and, and lyricist. Christian helped kind of produce, co-produced it and wrote the songs with him. And then Jay Rustin was the full-on producer for it, who is also just an evil genius. And so it was just like this perfect storm of of players getting together and we made the album and it comes out next year. Technically, we have a couple singles we're going to release before then. But uh, that's how it uh, all came to be was because, you know, just meeting Christian and playing for him for years and then, you know, him joining Black Star Riders and him referring me, you know what I mean? They, they could have auditioned 50 guys you know what i mean which is uh there would have been a line out the door to try to do it but you know we hit it off and it was it was one of those things where it just kind of meant to be so awesome yeah because uh i'm familiar with black star riders and that and i've i've seen like a christian's name pop up but then i kind of didn't connect the dots or whatever until i was talking to josh and i guess all of you guys played together so it sounds like how, like you're saying, you kind of like play with people and you got to kind of make a name for yourself. It's, it sounds similar to uh, Joshua's story. Yeah, no, exactly. Like I, I played for Josh. It was kind of the same thing. Like, you know, I've, I'm my my main gig and my main source of income is, is session drumming out here. Um, just kind of what's always lent myself to the talents and it's what I've been best at and, and I, I love it. So it was the same thing. I was working for a producer. And uh, David Riley is his name. And he uh, he's like, oh, I've got this guy, Joshua Ketchmark, who need, he needs a, a drummer. Like his guy just, you know, he's, he can't do it for whatever reason or, you know, whatever. It wasn't wasn't like a session guy. So I went in. It was it was the same thing with Josh. I just like met him and just instantly realized we were going to just be best friends forever. Um, and we are. I, t- I talked to Josh on the regular, even since he moved to Nashville, you know, Um I love his family. I love him, and uh, and I've been lucky enough to get to record on a lot of albums for Josh up to this day. But anyway, off off topic. Uh, we were, I recorded for Josh, and he's like, "Hey, you want to play some gigs?" So like, I was like, "Dude, hell yes, I want to play some gigs." So we started playing gigs, and like, you know, he had a band, whatever, and one by one, like guys can do for whatever reason. And eventually, it was like, "Hey, man, I need a guitar player. Who should we get?" And I go, "Dude, Christian Martucci. He's great. He's fun. He's hilarious." And like, so then we. Uh, he did an album and then we toured and we uh we had that band you know until uh until we didn't just the way that things go you know josh wasn't touring anymore and he, and he moved to nashville kind of on the permanent basis but uh yeah me me christian and josh were in a band together with our, our buddy uh carl raylor was the bass player who i'm not sure if you know him at all but uh yeah carl carl's also the one that introduced me to christian originally so i i owe a lot to carl raylor and his his love you know his friendship yeah, I think they said that he 
he's like uh, playing with uh, Brett Scallions now too. Yeah, think, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I guess it's just like getting a job, like a day job. You know, um, you have to have references, and it's like it's kind of like who you know. There's still those circumstances where, you know, somebody might get you in the door, but you have still, or you have to go audition. Like you'll get a cold call, and you know, there's 50 drummers sitting in the hallway with a pair of sticks in their hands, and you just have to go in in those circumstances, which I hate. I'm, I've never, that's never been my thing. Like, <laughs> I, I hate like the cattle call auditioning circuit, which I mean, I, even to this day, like I, I'll still go do it if it's the right situation. But, you know, I love knowing the people in the band. I love being able to have connections with them and stories and like, you know, the mutual respect of like you're coming in and, yeah. and, uh, and, and I don't know. That's that's just my my personal feeling. I've never been a big fan of those, but definitely the people you know and just being cool and 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 friendly and not being a, a you know a dick and just a good human being are the best the, you know best way to just get to know people. And uh, as easy as it sounds, some you know some people just don't get that, and that's a, you know they they detonate their career before it even gets off you know off the ground. So let that be a lesson to all the kids out there. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I was even thinking that kind of goes along with something I was just thinking about the other day too. It's like like some of those bands, like the bands that last the longest are the ones that had like a friendship that existed. Whereas some of those bands that just gets together and they're just guys that are just making music, they almost don't have like as much longevity. Because you think like Aerosmith, those guys basically grew up together and then started a band versus like some guys that just kind of get together. It's kind of like uh, you got to kind of have like some kind of chemistry. So it would make sense, you know, to uh, like call you up or call up like Joshua. That's a lot of the gigs that I, you know, I've gotten. Um, and it's usually just, you know, it, it's exactly that, like specific people who are successful and cool. Other people want to work with them. And then if, and if you've worked up enough, you know, clout and respect from certain people, they're going to refer you on to, to the next gig that comes up. Um, I've got a couple examples of that. I mean, you know, since we're talking about just, you know, music careers and, and drumming in general. Um, the first is also related to, to Christian Martucci. Uh, I got a, it was a Friday afternoon, I think, or no, it was Thursday. It was Thursday, like four or five o'clock in the afternoon here. And uh, I was out in my studio tracking a song and I saw his name pop up and he, he'll usually text me. So I picked up just because he was calling and, uh, the drummer and bass player for Corey Taylor had gotten gotten you know tested positive for COVID, and they were starting their tour literally the next day uh, in in Vegas at the House of Blues. And uh, over the years, I've I've become known for being able to learn a large amount of material fairly quickly. And uh, so we, Christian, no, he, he can call on me, and I can show up and you know do the gig and. And, you know, no matter what the pressure is. So literally I stayed up pretty much most of the night. And then uh, my girl, Kim, we jumped in the car the next day while I continued to chart songs on our way to to Vegas. We drove there. It takes about, you know, four and a half hours from L.A. to Vegas. And uh, I showed up. Um, hadn't had, I didn't even pick up a pair of drumsticks or had a chance to practice them. I just kind of had my, my charts written out. And that was it. But, you know, obviously, like, I sat down behind the drums that were there waiting for me and tweaked some things and then did a couple song sound check songs and continued to chart more <laughs> every spare second I had. And we uh we kinda went in the dresser room and uh 
and then me and Todd, who uh, Todd Kearns, who was the bass player, kind of came in too, and we were both still learning songs, and we ran through everything once in the dressing room, and literally had enough time, like five minutes, to just catch our breath, put on stage clothes, and I was on stage by whatever, like 8.30 that night um, on that Friday night. So that was another crazy one. And we had a couple more dates on that tour that I filled in for to the drummer was well. Um, and that was just because, you know, Corey Taylor's a big deal and a, a, an amazing, crazy talented musician. The whole band actually is, is that way. And that was just because, you know, Christian could trust me. And I had built up that rep, that reputation and, and rapport with him. Um, and, uh, and it was the same thing. Like everybody, it was just like, everybody was really so cool and so nice and, you know you just respect people and it was that kind of a thing where you know through christian everybody knew that i wasn't some weirdo off the street <laughs> and and the uh and the second example is uh i play in a band called ashton moon who is based around uh gary beers from nxs and his story was the same thing kind of like aerosmith sort of in the way where they just all were mates in school in australia you know they grew up together and NXS just came to be, you know what I mean? It was the brothers and, and Gary and then um, and then Michael Hutchinson. And uh, that's how NXS came to be. And they just grew up together and then became like one of the biggest bands of all time, just coming up through school, you know, being friends and, and being cool dudes together. And it was kind of that same thing with, with, with you know, Gary and Toby and Yohai and Ash and Moon. And that camp, it was, you know, we're the same. We're just kind of, you know, a bunch of, you know, friends and, and brothers in, in, in arms that, you know get to create music together and it's got that same really cool vibe so yeah just fun little stories and, and how people come up and and do things in, in the music scene and you know following those those paths of recommendations and and stories from each other i saw that yeah you've got the ashen moon and then also the lincoln park band and then you're saying like you've picked up uh stuff with Corey taylor and stuff how do you how do you store all that in your head like how do you keep all that straight? Because I can barely remember what I had for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of it is there's. The, I mean, there's a lot to address in that alone. But oh, it's kind of a loaded question. No, it's a great. Oh. It's a great question. There's just a lot of different ways I can go about answering it. Mm. But you, you know, basically, it's at any point in time. Now, in order to make a living as a musician, you know, I, I'm I haven't been lucky enough to have like a gig that's taken up all my my time. Um, like you you say like i'm trying to think aerosmith's a great example like joey kramer from aerosmith that's been his band that's the that's those are the songs he needs to know that's what he has to learn and he's been he's you know insanely successful and, and rich and famous because of it you know and he hasn't had to play for a bunch of bands but somebody in my position who's kind of a freelance for hire guy not from la still trying you know i'm in the streets every day fighting it out like it's you know it's definitely not easy it's a grind and a hustle without a doubt and i think it's that way for a lot of guys you know um and stories i'd heard before coming here from drummers and other musicians who kind of do what i do and i uh i'd always studied music and i always needed to, to to learn how you know to read music play charts know the ins and outs of, of all that the, the theoretical side and just because you can't really you know for me to to be able to do what i do if i didn't read music or couldn't make a chart or read charts there's just no way i could do three quarters of what i have to do um just because i play at any point in time i'm you know basically the drummer for 20 to 30 different bands and artists to to fill that in because i don't have that one like 
consistent band, which I mean, nobody really does unless you're in a band that writes hit songs and like you, you know, you have you're on retainer or you have mailbox money coming, which is like, you know, uh, residual income from from music sales or or replacements in movies or TV commercials or whatever. Uh, if you don't have that, you still have to fill in the time and and playing with lots of people are, is the best way to fill in my schedule, you know, so I'm always hopping, hopping around, traveling all over, jumping from one, one band to the next or singer, artist, client to the next to fill in those gaps. And definitely, you know, I, I have to commit a lot of music to memory, but I also always have charts either, you know, written or, or mainly I'm like, I've got a couple iPads that I always have on me that I, I can read music off of for, for just quick little glances that have, you know, if there's, if I'm playing with tracks, there's notes for what tracks I need. If there's, uh, if I'm playing samples, like off my, my sample pad, or if I need to know tempos for something or like changes or live, live arrangements and things like that, it's all in my iPad, which, uh, is sacred to, <laughs> to, to me being able to do that, you know? So it's not just like I'm remembering three or 4,000 different songs. Um, I do, you know, I, and I'll run through things and, and practice it before I'll go do a tour or, or whatever shows are going on. So, you know, it's again, it's a it's a necessary thing to play for lots of people to make a living like I do, especially in Los Angeles. You know, it's not at all cheap to live out here. So you have to really, you know, make sure you keep your business growing and make sure you have income coming in, you know, because uh, if I don't if if I get hurt, if I don't work, it's not like. I can go on sick leave or I have vacation pay. You know what I mean? If I don't, if I'm not there playing, I don't get money. So it's, that's the motivation, you know, and I, I love it. I also love that pressure. I love the the fact that I play for lots of people. I'm very proud of that. And uh, it's just a good lesson for, for anybody coming up and trying to do this is that you can't just, you know, wing it and, and just think that you can get by with, with, you know, pure skill. There's lots of drummers out there that can play circles around me, but, you kind of have to find that specific thing that you're great at. And mine is, you know, showing up and playing a song at the right tempo with the right feel, being able to play all the parts, you know, at a high level and make sure the people around me, I'm supporting the music. Most importantly, you know what I mean? Making sure that the, the song is getting what it needs from, from me, you know, and putting on a good show for the audience if I'm playing in front of people. Well, that's exactly what Joshua even said about you. He said, you're like the most driven guy. I guess it kind of sounds like too, like people say all the time, like they're hustles. Sounds like you've got like all these like side hustles and stuff. I, I say that all the time. Yeah. Like you have to, you know, hustle and, you know, duke it out in the gutters out here or wherever you are. That that, that applies to anybody in the world. Uh, but it, it's definitely, you know, you can't get lazy because somebody, there's, there's some hungry kid or, or person you know, right next to you, that's trying to come up on your heels. And, and, you know, they're there. If you're, if you don't have that same hunger or drive, you'll get passed up and, you know, somebody else will move in and, and take the gig. And that's, yeah, you know, yeah. they're deserving of it. If, if they're working harder than you, you know, like I said, there were, there were guys that I went to go see, you know, clinics for, or I got to hang out with when I worked at, uh, there was a music store in green Bay called Henry's music. And I, I was, I was lucky enough to be able to work in the drum department there. And like, we used to bring in drummers for, for, for drum clinics. And so I got to meet these guys who were just like these, you know, monuments of human beings to me, uh, super influential. And like, I would see their mentality and like, 
you know, they were cool guys and like, but they were, you know, they were working and like hearing about the people they were playing with and what they had to do to stay relevant and how hard they had to work the hours every week, you know, like I just took that to heart and, and you really have to love music and, and being a musician to do this. It is definitely something I've seen many people fall off, you know, along the way who like if it gets to a certain level of seriousness or a certain level of work or pressure, like, I've seen a lot of people crumble and it, and it's, and it's very easy to do. Like I, I, uh, you know, I have to remind myself a lot of the times how lucky I am and the opportunities I've been given and to capitalize on that. And that's what keeps me going, you know, and also, you know, I'm driven to be the best that I can be. And, and, uh, I grew up playing sports, so I'm super competitive, you know, so it's a competitive <laughs> nature mixed in with, you know, that drive and love for music. So yeah, I, uh, I, I do, I, I do love hearing that Josh thought that about me. That's that's about as high of a compliment as, as I could hear from somebody, you know, because I do uh, just my even my daily routine is built around my drive and passion to just kind of get a, a step up on anybody. And it's not like, you know, I, I mean, at the same time, I, I am I'm the biggest fan of my other musician friends and other drummers around me. Like seeing people succeed is only more fuel for my fire. And I, I see that and I go, man, that's so awesome. I was so proud of that person for getting that gig or doing that work to, you know, get in with whatever band it is. Um, I love that. So I'm like, there's some people that hate on other people and that's, you can't be that way. Cause that is just, you know, a neg negative state of mind is not good for anybody. So I stay positive And like my daily routine is just a reflection of that. I wake up at around five or five thirty in the morning and I, I get to the gym right away i'm there for about an hour hour and a half so that you know staying fit and being healthy is a big part of you know me being able to push myself as hard as i can and i come home you know and i, I make sure i get things going at the house i get our pup and kim up and i'm i make breakfast and i do my little routine and shower and i'm out the door by around eight or nine every morning headed to whatever you know gig or session or or you know job is going on and uh and then i kind of do that and then by the afternoon i'm usually to a, a different studio or my my home studio or i'm rehearsing for whatever gigs coming up and then you know a lot of evenings i have um gigs that i have to go drive to or i'm flying someplace you know and it's kind of that way at least at least six days out of the week you know so it's oh, my man. my work like you know 60 hours 70 hours a week are kind of what i put in normally to keep this going and uh and as crazy as that sounds, it's also good to have balance in all of that. So I push myself that hard, but I also know when I need to take time to spend, you know, time with, with, with Kim, um, and, uh, and my pup and like, you know, like usually around once a year, I'll take a week vacation where I just completely unplug. And like, we take little trips here or there when I have an afternoon off, we'll go run down to like Disneyland or, or we'll take a weekend and we'll go to like a winery, you know? So, um, those, those things are important too, about like, even though I'm working 67 hours a week, sometimes I have a, a break and I really love to capitalize on making sure I, I pay attention to my, you know, my personal needs and like having fun and like, you know, going to see a movie on, you know, some random, you know, Monday night, just when, when we have time or, you know, going going out and having drinks with our friends or, or seeing people. That's, that's part of the puzzle too. So that I don't, I don't stifle my inspiration and drive. Like uh, if you just work, 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 and you don't have anything else outside influence, like eventually music becomes not fun. It becomes just a job and it becomes stale and, and without, passion like what we you know why even bother at that point so yeah oh for sure 
I guess I was thinking too, a word like that, like it almost sounds like to describe what you were just saying is all almost like discipline. Like you're very disciplined. Like you said, you get up and you have that routine of going to the gym and then you're into a studio or you're off by like eight o'clock, you said in the morning. It just sounds like, yeah, you're like very like disciplined. It sounds like something too, like my girlfriend said about me, like I have these routines, but at least you're not so rigid to it where you said that you do take time off to rest when you need to. It's just about kind of, you know, it's super difficult to plan ahead with like the schedule that I have. I mean, every day is it's always kind of shifting and adjusting and you never know when a tour is going to get booked and you, you always kind of have to keep them uh, on the in your mind of like, okay, well, I'm like right now, like Kim and I are trying to plan. Uh, one of my favorite things to do in the world is to go on a cruise. Funny enough, uh, I love going on cruises and like different, you know, boats and, and being gone for a week because, you know, you don't basically you don't have cell phone service. And I love just great food and I love traveling the world. And like, that's a good way for us to do that. And we're trying to book that for November. But at the same time, like, you know, I start to hear rumors about, OK, well, there, this tour might be happening or, oh, that we might need to record this album in November and things like that. So um, it's really just kind of being. uh making sure you have a <laughs> you mentioned your girlfriend it's great to have a, a mate and a partner that understands that and is willing to you know compromise and and know that things are in a constant state of flux and be okay with that you know with that balance and know that i'm going to try my best to to make sure that we get that vacation and alone time and you know um whenever we can so i know it's not kind of related to the question but it is important to to make sure you get with, with the right person that understands that being a musician is very difficult. And, and once they, they get brought into it, they're, they're just as much of a part of the puzzle as, as anything, you know? So. One thing I was thinking of is when you were like talking about how you have all these gigs, but you have all these bands, like all the people you play with, but what happened? How did you get by during the pandemic when everything stopped? Were you able to record? Like, did you have steady kind of work like that? People reaching out to you? I uh, just sold drugs. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, no, I, very scary time for everybody. I mean, that, you know, obviously uh, music venues and musicians were one of the first people to get put out of work. And still we are like, it's still not in a full swing. So we're kind of the last ones to have the opportunity to get back to work. Um, I didn't know how it was going to play, you know, pan out. It was definitely a world of unknown, but at the same time, I was kind of ahead of the game, lucky enough, because I had established uh, a full private studio. It is on the level of any of the best, you know, recording studios in in L.A. At least, you know, I've got as good a gear and as good a microphones as anybody, and um, I've built up my my talent of being a engineer and a drummer and drum tuner over the years. So I, I'm, you know that's why I'm able to do this is I'm a one-stop shop, but for the pandemic, I was already set up for it. And, you know, uh, there were enough people that knew that. And because they all had time on their hands to write music, nobody was on the road at that point. Everybody was just all of a sudden writing songs and they needed drums and they needed, you know, me to record for them. And because you, you know, they couldn't go see anybody. You couldn't go hang out in the studio. Um, I, I mean, I had, I was swamped, with music to record. I mean, every day I was out in my studio, full work days, you know, eight, 10 hours recording music through, you know, almost that entire time. And, uh, and it's only just now starting, like basically once summer hit this year, 
everybody was on tour again for the most part. So it slowed down a bit, but uh, it was okay because then I was back on the road too. So yeah, really having the studio and being able to record music for people was what got me through it. And uh, I consider myself very lucky. And at the same time, you know, there's an art and, and there's a lot to say for, you know, preparation and, and just being ready for, for anything that might come along and having different aspects of a music career, you know, whether it's for me, my, the, the main things that I do are session slash recording drummer. That's not probably the, you know, number one thing that I do that keeps me the busiest, you know, live drummer for tours or local shows, teaching drums, uh, which is great. Not only do I enjoy doing it and helping people learn and giving back in that way, but it also keeps me up on my on my chops and keeps me fresh on. If you have to explain something, that's the best way to reteach yourself that and keep it fresh. And uh, so I love that part of it. And then being a drum consultant and, you know, I've, I've worked on huge albums just coming in and like, you know, it'll be you you name the drummer and they're like hey man can you come in like can you can you tell me what the right drum set is that, that you can bring in and 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 can you tune it up for me so we can do this album and like i don't even know what you call it what i was doing but just consulting and like working with the drummers in specific bands helping them with their recording you know and producers uh drummers slash producers engineers so th those are kind of the main things of, of my career and how i'm able to fill in the gaps and and especially during you know COVID and, and the pandemic. It sounds like you were kind of like thriving then because you already built up your connections and you had like a reputation, like you said, with your uh, studio. So, yeah, no, that, that, again, yeah. it was all that, you know, it's, it's the art and preparation and just being at the ready for when an opportunity can, can come to you. And uh, that was just something I learned from, you know, being in school and college, but also, you know, advice that drummers had given me. Um, and if I'm, there's tons of people out there, but one guy that I had met that made a special impact on me, and he's an incredibly hard worker too, is uh, Kenny Arnoff, who um, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's you know. Oh one yeah, of the most isn't he one of the basically like the terms like hired gun? But I'm sure he's like known for more than just that, right? Exactly right. Hired gun is you know they did a, a documentary on it, and that's always been kind of a term that within the musician world you're using your hired gun. But uh, yeah, that's you know your freelance you know private contractor that you play an instrument for people so that's basically a hired gun and and he's done it for years and he you know it's the same thing he does he's very busy and he plays for lots of people and he's able to you know record music and he tours and he teaches and he gives you know he'll do speeches and he'll do you know clinics across the board so seeing that and uh and you know just kind of hearing his story was it was just one of those things where like, oh, yeah, you can do that. I can go do that. That's that's something that I work towards, you know, and seeing, you know, his work ethic. He's he's one of those monster guys that just never stops working. He's always advancing his career. He's never happy. He always wants more and all the ways he can do things. And I'm the same way. I mean, now I've got three different things I, I can't quite talk about yet, but they're going to be released as just, you know, more parts of my, my career and puzzle and um, just always, you know, reaching for the next level and and uh and trying to build up your you know first of all income try to make more money every year try to set those financial goals of okay so i did this last year just like you would in any business you know so we had this much money last quarter for our corporate company or at our you know we're at our trying to think of an example like uh so we have a 
we sell tile and we need to sell $2 million in tile next year because we only did $1.5 million this year. So those are, you know, just different goals that you set both for for goals and for financial expectations for the following year. And uh, and I learned that from from Kenny at a, at a young age. And I kind of used, you know, a model that, that he had built up for, for my own thing. Oh, awesome. Well, how did you end up meeting him? Just like through your dad or? The first time I met him, I was I was working at that music store while I was in high school or even middle school in Green Bay. Oh, and, wow. uh, and like I I kind of helped like make it. It was like pretty basic drum department. And then me and uh, and and two of the other guys that worked there at the time, they they built it up and uh we had this amazing like drum department. It was like the best one in all of Wisconsin. And we were able to bring in, you know, all these drummers, famous drummers to do drum clinics. And Kenny was one of them when I met him. And like, you know, I was the one that got to, to, to get the drums and unpack them and, and set them up and kind of tune them and, and then worked, you know, hand in hand with the guys that would come through. And uh, you know, Kenny was just one of the, the guys. And th- there were probably three or four others that, made a big impact on me but he was one you know that came through who i knew who he was and i love what he did i love the freelance nature hire a gun you know as you said it thing that he did and uh i love that he was versed in all these different styles of music and uh you know he he was one of those guys you look at him to this day he's in shape he's a cool dude you know he's he's still got a family on the side he gets all of it and uh you know, he's an innovator and a, and a hard worker. So those those are just things that I latched on to. But, I mean, he's not even, like, one of my favorite drummers. I mean, he's amazing. But, uh, you know, it was just for that, you know, for those aspects are what I, I admire him for and and uh, appreciate him for. I guess that's cool. You could kind of, like, pick their brain while you're, like, working there. Yeah, no, it was it was, it was was a great time. Yeah, I think it was, it was, like, you know, when I was in eighth, ninth grade around that time of my life where I did that. And, uh, and it just, you know, prepared me for coming out to LA, you know, seeing these guys fly in from Los Angeles. They were just like these, you know, strange aliens that you were just like, Oh, I've seen pictures of you, but you actually exist. And I can like shake your hand. This is, <laughs> you know I mean? Green Bay is a small town. Like <laughs> wasn't air, you know, you have, you have the Green Bay Packers, like, you know, if you would see a Packer was, you know, kind of like the same thing, but still they live in your town and like, you'd go see them at Lambeau field. So it wasn't as big of a deal, but musicians coming through, like, that was just, uh, they were, you know, yeah. I, until this day, I, I think about like, if I had to meet like Jimmy Page or, you know, if John Bonham was still alive, I don't, I don't even know what I would do. They're just like, well, okay, it's like meeting Thor. I, what do you say? <laughs> what do you say to somebody who was like, you know, and, and from my perspective, like just not even human as far as their accomplishments and their level of success. So how did you go like out to LA? What kind of drove you out there did you go to college or did you just go straight there as a kid and you're like i'm gonna make it out here uh i had much more of a plan built than that you know there are lots of people that can that they have luck on their side or they have a plan they know people um i am not one of those uh i'm very plan-based and uh i like to be organized and uh, i don't like to stray from a plan um, and I guess so it's part of that discipline. Yeah. It's yeah. That come, come back to that discipline and seeing my dad struggle in, in certain ways taught me what things I, I should be better prepared for in life, in my career. And, uh, he handled so much business, uh, like 90% of his career was like having to deal with business. And 
I wanted to be able to deal with business on a high level. So I went to college in Wisconsin and my degree was in business administration, which is a the best way to describe it is, is it's an all encompassing degree. So I was able to do marketing and promotion and communication and uh, either learn specific parts of like economy and finance and math and you name it. And that's why I wanted to do that was because I knew it would, it would, it would all better taught me how to learn and how to study and how to then cram for a, an exam for weeks at a time or even hours at a time to get ready for high pressure situations, which in the end, I was doing it because I wanted to be able to learn massive amounts of music in and have lots of pressure on me and being able to, you know, compart compartmentalize it. And I knew that all those things were just going to eventually lend itself to what I wanted to do for music. And, and it does every day, like my, my business skills that I learned and learning how to learning how to learn basically and how to handle that and, uh, and obtain information and absorb information was the main reason I went to college. And I also learned Spanish. I, I minored in Spanish and just learning that process of a whole different language, which music is a whole different language and learning how to communicate in that way. So there was a massive plan and I wasn't moving away until I had uh, my education built up and I had a plan. I had some finances put away, you know, I, and again, even during college, I was, I was playing as many nights as I could and I was teaching and I was doing sessions and traveling all over the Midwest while going to school to build up the money to come out here. So the, the work ethic was in place even at that time. And uh, again, a lot of it was just have lucky enough to have the opportunities that I had, you know, and some people don't have those um, different, you know, outlets. And like my dad was a musician, so I had some ins from that and perspectives. And, and it was just uh, the way I wanted to do it. So I came out here, drove across country, you know, packed up all my stuff and, and just kind of jumped in the deep end. And like I said, I just started playing and meeting as many people as I could once I was out here. So that's that's the long and short of it. Well, it paid off, man. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I I wouldn't say that yet, but I'm sure hoping it does one of these days. I got to write that hit song or or get with a, a band that writes a hit song, and uh, and then I don't have to then I don't have to work sixty or seventy hours a week. <laughs> hey, well, we're the same age. We're still kind of relatively young because look, the Rolling Stones are still out there, and Alice Cooper, they're in their seventies, so. Yeah, that's right. No, you're basically uh, like a young guy in the in the music business still. Yeah, we are. Except for when I see all these kids that are are coming up, and I'm like, oh Jesus, I'm starting to look old. I got you know gray hairs coming in, and and uh, I got these injuries that pop up, you know. So I've got got a whole bunch of pills I take in the morning to stay healthy, glucosamine, and oh, all these different vitamins and and supplements and things to keep this this train running. Yeah, I, I usually refer to myself jokingly as an old dinosaur. Um, and, uh, <laughs> it's just because I've gone through back surgeries and knee surgeries and sh shoulder surgeries and, and sports injuries from, um, from my, my life when, uh, I wasn't afraid to take chances and, and hurt my body, which now I'm, you know, pay for every day, but <laughs> it's all in the fun. Well, what sports did you play? My, my favorite sports, uh, I started out with baseball. Like I really wanted to, I really wanted to be a major league baseball player when I was younger. Like I always was drumming. But man, I love baseball, still love baseball. And that, that was my main sport. But I was also, I'm 6'4", 
And when I was younger, I was like 300 pounds. I was a big dude. So football lent itself to me. I was, I was a pretty good football player. Uh, and uh, so I played football and then rugby. I was a big fan of rugby. I love the competitiveness and the, it was that that family and team building that a band is. I mean, I enjoyed it because it was just, you know, the same kind of nature as you have in a band and, and that teamwork, uh, which I mean, sports also, I apply that, that mentality every day as well. Just, you know, of working hard and training and, and being disciplined for because of sports growing up. And I played sports through college and then had to give it up, you know, because at that point you can't, uh, you can't risk breaking a hand or a wrist or getting a wrist or, uh, like a, an ankle injury or a knee injury. Cause then you can't play, uh, I guess playing the drums, yeah, you use like your whole body. It's not just playing a guitar where you just got your hands. You're talking about, yeah, like you said, your feet too. Yeah, exactly. So, so um, yeah, I played sports. Uh, love sports to this day. I watch them all the time. Love, love baseball, football. I mean, I watch everything. Like in the morning, like when I'm getting ready, when I'm talking about my routine, I have Sports Center on every day. It's just part of my, you know, part of my, part of my routine. I love listening to it, and when I'm in the gym on the elliptical or treadmill that's what i'm watching on tv so sports is a big part of my life and also a source of my inspiration you know it's it's a part of uh my letting you know letting go of my my music life so i can focus on something else you know to stay motivated and inspired do you follow any of the california teams or do you still stick with the um wisconsin like brewers and the packers i was never a brewers fan funny enough i was always a cleveland and indian fan uh oh. which that's a whole other story, which I don't exactly know why I was a huge Cleveland the Indian fan, but the Indians are my favorite. Well, now the Guardians are my favorite baseball team, but uh, the Packers have always been my favorite football team, will always be my favorite football team. But living in L.A., like even growing up, I loved the Dodgers because I knew I wanted to move to L.A. when I was young, and I thought the Dodgers were such a cool team. And uh, so besides the Indians, the the Dodgers are a favorite of mine. And, you know, they just built this amazing new football stadium here called uh sofi and it's where the the rams and chargers both play and it's just the most amazing <laughs> amazing stadium um i've also been able to go see a couple of concerts there it's it's this just monument of of uh of a structure so um yeah i go see whatever i can i've seen basketball out here not a huge basketball fan but you know gone to see games at the staples center so hockey love hockey too Kings are a great hockey team. I love to go see them. Oh, awesome. What was the recent concert that you attended? Recent Oh, man. Let's see. The recent would have been... Uh, it's funny because even even though people are going out, I still have to stay somewhat quarantined because I, I haven't gotten COVID yet, and I'm literally knocking on wood. I'm starting to think I'm superhuman. I don't know how I've avoided it, but uh, oh, I have man, avoided it. Oh, man, you're lucky. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I also very lucky for not for not getting COVID yet because that would that would shut this whole project down. But uh, I still stay pretty safe. I don't try to I don't go out around people unless I have to. You know, it's different if I'm at a show and like you're around people. Um, and again, it's just luck that I haven't gotten sick for the most part. Let's see concerts at SoFi. Um, one of my mentors and one of my favorite drummers of all time. Uh, plays with Paul McCartney. His name is Abe Laboriel Jr. And uh, he's become a friend, you know, and uh, he got me and Kim tickets to go to SoFi to see McCartney. And I've seen him three times now. And uh, so th I think that's the last, like, actual major concert I've seen, not uh, me playing at a f festival or something. Like, I, I traveled to Portugal and 
and uh, Metallica was there. I, I saw Metallica recently, I suppose, too. Um, and a few other bands, you know. There's I, Whenever I'm playing shows, like on, on tours or festivals, like you see lots of music, but going out and like actually have a ticket, it was it was McCartney was the last show I went to. I've never seen McCartney, but like, doesn't he play for like two hours or so? It's like a long He's 80 set. years old, and yeah, he played for almost two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. It's crazy. And in fact, that night, Abe, the drummer, he had gotten COVID. He played the show like in a dead COVID, like just, you know, swarm. I don't, I don't know how he did it again. I haven't had COVID, but from what I hear about it, having to play a two and a half hour show and giving singing and playing drums at that level is, I mean, I don't, I don't quite understand how he did that. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know at the time because we, he, he was quarantined, you know, with the band. And I, uh, so I didn't get to see him until about a month ago. And, uh, we were hanging out and he goes, Oh yeah, I had COVID for that show. <laughs> it's like, what, how, how could you, I mean, again, <laughs> did you, have you had COVID? Uh, yeah, I actually, well, how you were saying you were joking that you were uh superhuman or something. I actually thought like, I made a joke about that at first because I was joking with some of my coworkers cause um, I got uh, the vaccine shot, like the first one in early 21. And then I got my second, I think it was February, March. So March around St. Patrick's Day was when I got the second one. And most people were sick from their shots. I, I went and ran a 5K the next day. It was like a St. Patrick's Day 5K. And I felt great. But then I actually did get COVID a month ago, I think around the 4th of July. And I don't know how that guy played a a show. Because the first week I had COVID, I felt like I was dying. Like I was literally like... I think I got up to go to the bathroom. I even fell over and just, I just laid on the floor because I was too tired to get back into bed. Yeah. That's basically what I hear. It's like, you know, it just completely shuts you down. So, yeah. um, yeah, anyway, that's, that was that story. And I, I, I haven't gotten it yet. So I, I, I stay pretty, you know, close to home for the most part. And it's not that I'm not out being social. And obviously if you, you know, pay attention to social media, you see that I'm out and playing shows and being around people, but, it's just about kind of being smart and I'm kind of a germaphobe. So I always have Purell on me. So like <laughs> if I shake somebody's hand or if I'm around somebody or if I touch a door handle, I instantly pull out my Purell and I'm, I'm, I'm sanitizing constantly things around me, my drumsticks. I've got spray. I spray on like microphones during sound checks. So I'm, I'm a bit of, of a, uh, yeah, germaphobe is the best word. So I, I think that's helping a little bit. But you know, I could, I could, I could get it any day. Just, just have to roll with it. You know. I guess you have to be though in your line of work because, say, if you were with like a bigger band, there'd be like techs all over the stage. So who knows who would uh, touch stuff either or people backstage? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's basically you know Russian roulette. You're not exactly sure who's got it anymore, and you know, I, I. Uh, being a musician, you had to get, you had to get the vaccines right away. Like it's just required to travel. You need to have it. Um, so even then, like you, it's definitely, you can still get it. Like, you know, the vaccine helps protect you with some of the symptoms. Like I can't imagine not having any vaccine and coming down with some of the, like the crazy, you know, strains that are out there. Yeah. Like it, it must be really awful for, for people who get that, which, you know, that's, uh, none of my business at all. I'm just saying, like, it must be really terrible, and that scares me. But, uh, yeah, I got vaccinated, and I know I can still get it. Like, they never said if you're vaccinated, you can't get COVID. I just try to be careful about it, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. 
Well, what was your first concert then? First concert, major concert. I mean, again, like yeah, I'm sure you were pretty young then. I was very. I, I Bob Dylan was the first like full on big concert that I can remember going to, and I was. I can't even tell you how young it was. Young enough to be like telling my parents, I don't want to go. I don't know who Bob Dylan is. I have no idea who that is, you know? <laughs> and like, and then I remember them going, no, you'll thank us one day because you get to see, you can go see Bob Dylan tonight. You're coming to the concert. I'm like, oh, I don't want to go. I don't know who this guy is. Like, what, who, I'm sure I was listening to who knows at the time, but uh, probably Sesame Street. I'm like, Bob Dylan's not on Sesame Street. Who is that? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but I went to it was I remember just thinking oh wow you know this is so cool like seeing a, a concert with thousands of people there and uh, yeah that was the first one that I remember oh awesome man I guess you can't beat that because yeah like I guess the significance would have been lost on on you then but I mean how many people can say their first concert was Bob Dylan yeah, no, I'm I, again yeah. like there there were a few others, but like that was the one that I sticks out in my mind of being like the full, you know, in an arena kind of concert kind of. Yeah. Thing. What was your first CD that you uh, purchased? Oh, <laughs> that's a rough one. My dad had so many el- thousands of albums, yeah. thousands of CDs around the house. Uh, so I didn't, I never really had to purchase music. Like I just, it was just readily available. Oh. <laughs> I was super lucky. Like there was just music on all the time. Uh, uh, I I love you know all of that. I think it was I was like you know in middle school or high school and like they had these things called Columbia House where you like get a mailing thing and you got to like pick out like ten free CDs or twenty free CDs if you signed up for it. So like I remember signing up for like that under like different names and phone numbers and things. So I would keep getting like these just loads <laughs> of like twenty free CDs from Columbia House. I hope nobody from Columbia House is watching. They're going kind to of come get their, you know, all this, collect this money from me that I owe them from doing that like 40 times. But yeah, I, you know, I think uh, I just got music my dad didn't have. So it was like different genres that I, I wasn't aware of. Like uh, looking back now, I'm like, oh, that it's not bad. I'm glad I did that. But like Britney Spears to like Seven Dust to uh, Train to the Backstreet Boys, Limp Biscuit, Corn, like things that. My dad wasn't into, but were kind of popular at the time. Um, were things that I got CDs for, and they're not necessarily like favorite bands or anything. It was just because that's what was out there, and I'm like, well, I should be familiar with it, you know. Even then, I was like, well, I, I want to be able to play all different styles of music, and I need to be able to be versed in, you know, the way people write music. So I was just, yeah, I think that's what it was. Not specifically, it was just like I would just get 20 CDs at a time and. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even necessarily anything specific, but that kind of thing, you know, growing being the same age as you, I think you probably can get an idea of like what was out yeah. when we were watching MTV or whatever on TRL. Whatever I was just going to say that. Was like, you... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say that from the Britney Spears and like the Seven Dust and all that. I was like, man, that's kind of like the TRL era. <laughs> yeah. And even like, uh, so for that, the Lincoln Park band that I'm in, um, we, I started this thing where I, I, I talked to the MD and I said, hey, man, we should I have this idea to like do these two songs. I actually still Metallica always has songs before they're set. And I had just seen them like, hey, they play the same songs before they go on. I think it'd be cool if we did that. Um, but like in kind of a funny our own way from that era. So we have uh, we have two songs that always come on before we play a show. It's Rollin' by Limp Biscuit. And then I want it that way by the Backstreet Boys. And you would think that those don't go together. 
but like people hear rolling and like oh yeah okay cool they're coming on and then like the backstreet boys comes on and like our fan base is hard rock you know metal fans lincoln park fans and across that board we're all wearing black and like tough guys with tattoos and you know girls that kick kick my ass and uh <laughs> i want it that way comes on the entire place starts singing every word of that song and it's probably my favorite part of our shows that we do are just like sitting side stage waiting to go on and hearing everybody sing that <laughs> oh, awesome. it's pretty it's pretty funny well i guess i got one other little silly thing like you said you're not a brewers fan but like I kind of recently, or over the last couple of years, I kind of became a Brewers fan because I got a buddy that lives up in Milwaukee. So I'd plan to go see him every summer. And we usually hit up Summerfest to uh, catch a show. And then I saw some Brewers games with him. He had me try something like cream puffs at the state fair. Like, is that like a, isn't that like a big delicacy up there almost? Uh, cream puffs? Uh, I don't, maybe. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't know. <laughs> I, I grew up with brats and cheese curds. That was kind of the delicacy. Okay, because I wrote down, I just wrote down Wisconsin food, uh, cheese curds and question mark, and then I put the cream puffs. I guess I, I don't know, he made it seem like the cream puffs were like a huge, huge like Wisconsin thing. Maybe it's just Milwaukee. Maybe they are. Uh, yeah. I mean, did I have cream puffs while living in Wisconsin? Yes, absolutely. I had cream puffs. I didn't know it was specific to that, to that state, but m maybe. I mean, yeah, most of the things I, I re relate to Wisconsin are like meats and cheeses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And milk. <laughs> yeah. I just thought it was funny, though, with the cream puffs, because people were in a line, and then they were walking up to some kind of booth, and then they left with, like, a box. And they were huge, huge cream puffs, almost like a cake or something, like the size of a well, little so. Maybe. When I'm at a fair, the funnel cake is my jam. I'll go get a funnel cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and cheese curds, too, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. Which... Mm. Wisconsin cheese curds are the best, cold or fried, or however you have your cheese curds. No, nobody makes cheese curd like they're they just have like this squishy kind of what rubbery consistency that's amazing, and uh, nobody does it like you know Wisconsin. And even <laughs> I, I uh, Kim and I flew back to to Green Bay to visit my mom, kind of when we were first dating, and and Kim loves cheese and uh, more way more than me. And I took her to a there's a massive grocery store called Woodman's. I don't know if they have those in Illinois, but Woodman's uh -huh. is like a Walmart size store, but like a super Walmart, but just groceries. And uh, they have a cheese aisle that that is like a football field long worth of cheese. And uh, Kim and I grabbed like a full suitcase full of cheese and because we wanted to bring it back to California. And literally, Kim got pulled out of uh, out of security. A, a TSA pulled her out, and they made her open up her bag. And they're like, "You can't." What is all this? What you can't fly with this much cheese on an airline? What's what's wrong with you? And she was she's so protective of her food. Like you don't mess with Kim when she's hungry or what the food she wants. And like she literally got in a fight with the TSA like dude in Milwaukee and was like and fought with him about I'm no I'm flying with all this cheese. It's all wrapped up. It's there's no weapons in here. It's not plastic explosive. I'm taking my cheese and I'm going to California. <laughs> and that was it. And uh, this the look on this he was like the 65 year old, you know just this dude named Frank working at the, you know, the Bradley airport. And he's like, uh, I don't want to mess with you. You can take your cheese on the plane. That was my last cheese story from Wisconsin. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. And that's funny because my girlfriend, she's like the same way with cheese. And even her mom's like, like you need to make sure um, that she's always fed. So I was like, 
almost like the gremlin thing or something you know you feed them or what's that from the the movies like the mogwai or something I was trying to oh yeah you, joke. you can't feed them or, or, or you're getting wet past midnight yeah yeah because yeah. like she's pretty strict with her bedtime but she's also huge uh cheese lover <laughs> yeah no it's uh yeah people have their vices my mine is sweets i i don't eat them much anymore because you know gotta I, these days if i eat a cookie like i look at it i have a love handle that pops out the next day so i have to be careful with it but sweets are my my vice for sure especially donuts cinnamon rolls and donuts are uh if uh, if i'm in the right city i know there's a great donut i'll probably more likely go out and get it <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> well i guess speaking of food i don't want to keep you man because i need dinner yeah yeah but i'm glad we could do this my friend i'm thanks for asking me oh um, yeah it's been super fun you know, kind of getting to know you better and, and chatting and uh, really, really cool. Hopefully we can do it again someday. Oh, sure. Yeah. Maybe pick your brain more about your influences because I know you, you mentioned Led Zeppelin in your bio. And then I guess any bands from our era since we kind of grew up around the same time, you know, the TRL stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm just a music fan in general. I kind of like everything these days. You, you name the genre and I, there's, I, I'm more than likely like listening to it and changing it up you know my uh my music library is is everything for the most part from from jazz yeah. to 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 hip-hop to country rock everything in between you know progressive kind of everything you know with your music though you listen to uh do you mostly listen on uh streaming apps or do you still like have the physical albums uh both i mean i i still love buying albums like both records and cds i'll still buy them or find them and i still have them in racks and in, in you know my house um but I, I stream too you know i love having you know the capability of streaming you know i i'm obviously like i have to sometimes if you're someplace you have to learn learn music like streaming is a, an excellent resource so everything yeah in any any place i can get it from it's kind of like oxygen yeah that's absolutely. why i listen to it and i, and I still or... pay for music as much as i can like I'll go on iTunes, and even if I don't get a physical album, I'll still buy an album on, on iTunes and, and just have it, you know, just to support music. And, and that's, you know, it's what I do. So I appreciate when other people buy music, and I, I would be a hypocrite if I didn't do the same. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Zach, for uh, chatting. Yeah, you're welcome. No no, no problem at all. Happy to. And uh, thanks for staying up. What is it? It's almost 830 there, so I'm sure you're... Your girl's looking at you going, get off the phone. Quit talking to this, this hooligan out in Los Angeles. He's a bad influence on you. Oh. <laughs> Actually, here's something. I just glanced at a piece of paper. I talked to Kenny the other day, and he wanted me to tell you hi. And he also said that I wrote this down um, when I was talking to him. Uh, Kenny Wright, that is. Not Kenny Aronoff. I don't know him. but uh... No, I, 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 I like Kenny Wright better than Kenny Aronoff. Anyway, it's fine. Oh. No, Kenny's a great dude. That's awesome. I'll leave it in there. But he said that <laughs> um, when he was producing the All She Wrote album for uh, Josh, you played on that, and he said that he loves your drum sound. He said it's fantastic. So I just wanted uh, yeah, to pass I remember that we, on. We did that out here. Uh, they, they came out to L.A. We tracked it at Sunset Sound here in, in, in Hollywood. Yeah, I remember that, of course. And that is a good album, too. I dig it. So I, I went to Nashville year probably five years ago now man with it's crazy with, with like covid like i feel like my my timeline is warped I, I lose track of things these days about how long it's been since i visited someplace but yeah it's been a while since i've seen kenny 
Uh, but you know, just like every, everybody else, I, I follow him on social media and love keeping up with great affairs. And you know, Danny too. I've, I've known Danny for years, so those are all guys that I keep tabs on and and care for a lot. Great, great people. Yeah, I love those guys too. Like all the guys in the great affairs. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Good night, Zach. And it was awesome talking to you. Yeah, you too, my friend. Uh, stay in touch. All right, man. Well, thank you. <laughs> cool, dude. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>